It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. This is Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here with Brian Doe. Today we're going to be talking about year-end tax opportunities, but don't wait till the end of the year. You should take care of these items now. We've got a great little list of things to cover on the episode today, so get some great tax advice coming up here in just a moment. If you're new to the show, Brian is a certified financial planner, Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond, of course, based in Greensboro, Georgia, and we're online at livingworth.com. Brian, looking forward to chatting with you today. What's been going on in your world? Well, Walter, I've, I've just been sitting here figuring out how it might be possible for you to get a tax advantage for that cool new toy that you bought. That would be nice. Unfortunately, it's not an EV or anything like that that I think would come with any sort of tax. But, but surely, but so, well, well, tell everybody what you got first. All right. We'll... So, uh, so it, I've I've driven beaters uh, pretty much all my life. We've talked about it here on the show before, right? Taking the old Tahoe past two hundred fifty thousand miles, and it was the Silverado mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. made it past two fifty before that. So, um, you know, Connie and I just moved to Colorado recently, and as part of moving out here, we tried the single car family thing for a little bit, Brian. Didn't last very long. We were we were ready to upgrade. Also, her car is nice, small, low to the ground, and that doesn't do so well in the mountains. So we were mm-hmm. like, as we go out and go hiking and exploring, we need something a little bit more capable. Well, I really like trucks, and uh, she's always her dream car has always been a Wrangler, a Jeep Wrangler. So we kind of got the hybrid of the two, and got the uh, we, we I splurged on a car for the first time in my life. And uh, we've got, um, it's not brand new, but almost new, Jeep Gladiator, the Jeep mm. truck. Nice. And, uh, it's pretty fun. We, we've, ta- we've already gotten yeah, a little those, dangerous with it. <laughs> yeah, those, those things are awesome. But now, now, surely if if you met me out in Moab and maybe we re- recorded a podcast out there, uh, you know, just there's got to be some way to make that a business deduction for you. I do like the way you're thinking now. That does sound like a good plan. Come on. We've got to figure <laughs> something out here. We got to see what uh, what program should we Jeep put in our running? disclaimer? I'm not, not sure the IRS will go for that, but uh, oh, that's, yeah, a, that's a good point. We may need to be careful about what we here. say, right? <laughs> Indeed, uh, too good. Well, yes, it's been fun. We'll, we'll talk off air. See if we can find some tax breaks there. Let's take there care. Go. Let's take care of our listeners first on the episode today and talk year-end tax opportunities. But you know, we're recording this right at the end of September, Brian. It's releasing in early October, so. Mm-hmm. We're really only talking we've got less than three months to kind of address some of these things. Is that right? Yeah. And we always come into year end and everybody likes to put this stuff off or you want to wait until you know exactly how much income you've had or dividends you've had or capital gains you're going to realize. But I would implore people not to wait you know, until the absolute end of the year when you know, the holidays come up and all that stuff. You, you don't want to be sitting there trying to do tax planning and things like that. And right now, as you mentioned, Walter, as we're recording, we're, we have retested or rehit the lows in the market for the year. And while that is not fun while we're going through it, it definitely presents uh, some good opportunities to uh, take advantage of some of these strategies that we're talking about, maybe take a second look at your portfolio and get things reconfigured, and then find those losses in your portfolio and figure out a way to make those you know, actually work work to your advantage. And um, yeah, it may seem like the, there's a lot of time left for the rest of the year, but start now, make sure you keep most of your money and minimize the share that uh, Uncle Sam gets. 
Okay, very good. So this isn't just your typical end-of-year boilerplate tax advantages and tax things to think about at the end of the year. So you're going to get more listening to this episode than if you just went back and recycled the, you know, our tax conversations from late 2021 or 2022. Yeah, because the, of where we stand now, you're saying this, this, the, the, the list is a little different this year. Correct, correct. Yeah, okay. b- because the market is down, that that changes the dynamic because the last several years we've had up years, finish the years up. Uh, we did talk about a little bit, you know, things like Roth conversions at the peak of COVID when the market was down that, you know, that's always a good time to do that. But I think there are more opportunities that have opened up because of the market pullback. And we'll talk about those today. Well, what about this particular window? Why kind of in October are we bringing this up and, and why should we be discussing these end year tax plans right now versus back in July or waiting till December? Well, uh, you can definitely take some moves now that are going to help save on your tax bill. And, and as I mentioned, who wants to spend their holidays doing tax planning and, and calculations? That's true. And we I, all I know how say, busy we get once it hits December, right? Right, right. It, it, and the, the year will just absolutely evaporate and, and fly by and, and you may miss some of these things. So it's best to go ahead and uh, take advantage of these opportunities now. Don't don't spend your holidays you know, noodling over over taxes. These are things that you can proactively calculate, uh, identify the opportunities, act on them now, and you'll, you'll be much better positioned you know, moving ahead, you know, both for tax and for your overall portfolio. Okay, very good. Uh, what can people do now to start saving money on their taxes? I know all the time we're looking forward on taxes, but what are the things that people can be doing right now to save money on this year's taxes? Sure. Well, I think the first place to start is to focus on brokerage accounts. So these would be standard, you know, non-qualified or non-IRA 401k type accounts. So your brokerage accounts, your trust accounts, anywhere where the tax implications flow through to the current year, that's where you're going to be able to go in and uh, book losses. The other item we'll talk about would be making charitable contributions and how to structure those. And I've got some, there's some really good new uh, tools and uh, ways to simplify your charitable giving for for maximum advantage. And then if you're still working, do you, do you have a 401k that you could max out, get a little bit more income off the table this year, maybe make an IRA contribution. If you're already retired, you know, that might not work. So you want to look at either Roth conversions, potentially pulling a little bit more money out of IRAs. And again, doing that at lows, you can get that money into a more favorable tax structure in the future so that when the market does recover, you're not building up that required minimum distribution IRA tax bond that we're always always talking about. And then another one I really want to uh, drive home is focusing on those little deadly dollar tax traps. And the number one issue that people could run into that's that's the most penalizing would be the the Medicare supplement premiums going up because there's you know how like most tax uh, deductions, if, if you lose them, they phase out over 10 or 20, 30, $40,000 brackets. Same thing with tax brackets. You could go up to a certain am- amount before you cross that threshold. But once you cross that threshold, you only pay tax, the higher tax rate on the additional dollars. Well, that's not the case with the Medicare supplement premiums. If you go $1 over the threshold, you're going to experience you know, roughly a thousand dollar 
you know, per person increase in Medicare supplements. So a, a dollar earned and could result in an additional thousand dollar cost because it's, it's not technically a tax because it's a Medicare supplement premium. But, uh, as far as I'm concerned, if it's tied to the tax code and tied to your income, uh, it acts exa- exactly like a tax and it's all based on, on your income level. So watching for those traps, you know, making sure you know where you stand, where the opportunities are. Uh, there's, there could be a lot more that goes into this than just grabbing a few losses at the end of the year, uh, you know, offsetting some gains. And then you know, if there was even that opportunity with the, with the up markets, I think now a lot of those things have... Uh, come into play so that you can manage these a little bit better this year. You mentioned things kind of like a little bit more than normal, some opportunities to take advantage of here. I imagine that some of these steps are going to require maybe some more homework on on your part. They may take a little bit of time to execute uh, to take advantage of these things. So where would you suggest people start as they want to start, you know, looking through that list that you just kind of laid out? Yeah, sure. Well, the, the um, research and investigating that you may need to do would go into a couple of different categories. One may be the the actual funds or investments themselves. But as far as getting a handle on your tax situation, we have been talking about and I've been using this Holista plan is is the name of the software that we've added to our, our arsenal here, where we can scan a tax return and we can get a really thorough, deep tax snapshot far uh, more easily and quickly than in, in the past. And uh, it simply just involves getting us last year's tax return, running it through the scanner, and then we'll get an output that we can then use to model different scenarios in the future. And we can say, well, what would happen if we did Roth conversions, if you had a little more income? And all of those traps and, and tax brackets that I was talking about earlier, it will give you a really nice snapshot of you know, is this action going to trip another tax somewhere else where it may look like a good strategy from one angle uh, over here? It's actually, you make it, it neutralizes the, the potential of that strategy. So getting clarity on where you're starting, you know, do you have tax loss carry forwards? Most people have no idea. It's, it's buried you know, somewhere in the tax return and you know, your, your CPA is keeping up with it. But if you don't know the number, you can't really do any, any planning around it. Uh, and again, that software will just pluck that number out for us, create a record of it, and, and you can use it to plan going forward. Then I've talked a little bit about the Medicare supplements already. So that's, you know, wh- where in that tier are you falling because again, if you go $1 into the increased Medicare supplement premium bracket, you may want to go ahead and take advantage of that whole bracket. You know, instead of incurring a $1,000 charge on $1 worth of income, if you're not able to get below that threshold, then you might as well realize more income potentially and, uh, and max out that bracket, which, which may help in, in future years if you can come back down. And then, uh, you know, what, what is your current income tax bracket? How much room do you have in those brackets? And, and you know, definitely maximizing those because we all know in 2026, these rates are going back to the, the, the pre-Trump rates. And, you know, it's going to be about a 2-3% uh, increase in most brackets. And I, if I recall, the income levels would, I don't know if those will compress back down, but uh, the, we're in the last few years to take advantage of, of current tax code. And then finally, do, do you have you know, more gains or losses? Uh, if you are invested in 
mutual funds, they may kick out some capital gains. If you have losses on stocks or ETFs, your losses can be used for other things than offsetting gains. And so if you don't have any gains this year or don't anticipate them in, in future years, you could book a loss now while the market's down. You could always use that loss against future gains, but it's also deductible against ordinary income up to about $3,000 for, for couples. So that, you know, it's not a huge deduction, but it's a, a far better use of it than, than just, uh, you know, waiting for the market to go back up and, and missing the opportunity. And the next like charitable strategies, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit later. 401k and IRA conversions, Roth conversions, uh, contributions and conversions. And then the final one is to really look at what type of dividends are you earning? Are they preferential dividends? Are they ordinary taxable dividends? Is it taxable interest? Is it tax-free you know, municipal bond? And this, this all goes back to that Right Stuff, Right Place podcast. One of, one of the earlier episodes, I'd, I'd have to look up what number that was. But because the market is, is down and we're not in a position where we're triggering a lot of capital gains, this may be a good opportunity if you have taxable bonds, REITs, master limited partnerships. If you have any of those in your brokerage account, this could be a good opportunity to make some buys and sells and reconfigure your, your portfolio composition to get those things in retirement accounts. And then if you've got stocks that pay preferential dividends and uh, create long-term capital gains, you may want to get those back out into the, the regular brokerage account. So right stuff, right place. Very helpful. Uh, we actually did a Right Stuff, Right Place uh, back in episode three. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about that, so way back at the beginning. But then we hit it again in episode 58 as part of a uh, Top Retirement Mistakes series, and that was the third part of the series. So maybe go listen to that whole series. would be very helpful. That was back in fall of last year. So go check out episodes 56, 57, and 58. Actually, I take it back as a four-part series, so 59 as well is the other one you can go listen to and uh, check more of that information out. Yeah, uh, that's that, all helpful, that's a, Brian. That's a big list of stuff. Yeah, and, and that, that, that one's a perennial uh, topic too. So it, a lot of that stuff, a lot of the rules and laws and amounts have changed, but that particular strategy is still very relevant. Well, I know for a lot of people this year, Brian, their investments have taken a beating. But uh, let's look at the, the silver lining here. How can people take advantage of that regarding next year's tax bill? Yeah, so this will apply to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. But where they overlap and in, these concepts overlap and intersect, we'll, we'll talk about those other categories separately. But for stocks, I think we're, we've seen a lot of individual names really beaten up. And while that may create some real buying opportunities, the, the real opportunity is going to be in uh, tax loss selling or going in and looking at specific lots that you may have purchased or had dividend reinvestments coming in, same with mutual funds. Go ahead and sell those lots or blocks of, of shares that are at a loss. And if you do that, you're able to, I get like, use that loss against other gains or against income at the $3,000 a year level. But the one thing that you must watch out for, and I know we've talked about this in the past too, but it it bears repeating, the wash sale rule must be followed. And just to recap, the wash sale rule says that if you incur a loss on a particular stock, if you want to realize that loss this year, you're going to have to wait 30 days 
before you buy that specific investment back. So if you make a mistake, if you, if you don't get this right, that loss would be disallowed and you're going to miss the opportunity to, to take advantage of that. Now there is a little bit of a silver lining here. If you actually do that and I, you're, you're allowed to add the disallowed loss to the cost basis of the new shares that you bought, but I've never done that. I don't want anybody trying to keep up with that. Uh, that that's just going to create a record keeping nightmare for you. And it, you know, if you get to prove it to the IRS or something like that, it's, it's, it's not as automatic as uh, other cost basis and, and gains losses issues. But if you follow that 30 day rule, then you could sell out of a position, go right back into it in a month, book that loss and, and realize it. And, and some people will say, well, I don't want to be out of the market. I particularly like the stock. Um, you know, just find something that's similar or, you know, go to an index fund and, and wait those 30 days if you really think the market's going to move. But go in and, and like I said, break out all of the transaction histories for the stocks and the mutual funds. And if you've bought at different times or if you've had dividend re reinvestment shares, some of the shares purchased when the market was at the peak last year may be registering a loss. And if you go in and specify which lots you're selling, you can go pluck out all the ones that have losses, not touch the ones that have gains, and just lock those in for you know, current or, or future use. Great points all the way around. If you have any questions about this stuff as we go through it, by the way, about these tax opportunities, uh, these different things that you can talk about, don't hesitate to reach out to Brian and the Living Worth Wealth Advisors team. Uh, which is, again, Brian, that you're reaching out to. 706-451-9800 is the number if you want to book a call or go to livingworth.com and click book a call. And uh, we'll link to that in the description of today's show as well. Now, here's the question, Brian, as you kind of walk through those different kind of, you know, elements of your, your investments taking a beating over the past year. What if you're, you know, you have stocks that have fallen a lot, but you like the stock. We, we don't want to, you know, get out of that investment. And, uh, you know, it's still something that we want as part of our portfolio. Yeah, sure. So that's, that's very common, especially with individual stocks. I don't think people are as attached to an ETF or a mutual fund because it is a basket of many different stocks. But if you've got one individual name or company that you're fond of or that you've worked for, whatever the case may be, again, don't don't try and get too emotionally attached to it. Go ahead and sell for the losses, wait the 30 days. If for some reason you really just can't wait 30 days or you think the market's going to go back up dramatically in the short term, one thing that you could do is buy another block of the shares first. Okay, so instead of selling, waiting 30 days and buying, just do that in reverse. Buy another lot of the stock, wait 30 days, and then sell the shares that are at a loss. Now, that strategy can go against you if the market continues to go down. But you know, if, if we're scraping along the bottoms here, the likelihood of getting burned badly by that is, is pretty low. You would have to have the additional cash to, to make that purchase, but that is one way to hang on to that same stock. You'll just sort of you know, double up your position a little bit uh, on, on those shares that have a loss, wait the 30 days, and you can come back and sell. So, so you get the same basic effect. They just don't want you to have an, a sell and a buy transaction within 30 days and um, allowing you to take that loss. The, the other possibility is similar but different, and a 
particular stock or an exchange-traded fund that has a, a specific uh, index that it follows, if the investment is identical, that's when they're going to disallow the loss or, or apply that 30-day rule. But if you found, let, let's say you had Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, you had all the big tech companies and you had those individual stocks, you'd bought them last year at the peak and now they're at a loss. You could go sell all of those and find something like a technology exchange traded fund or a FANG stock ETF or something like that and basically get the same exposure that you had. So then you could go sell those individual stocks, buy the technology ETF, because that's not exactly, it's not, it's not composed exactly as the stocks that you sold. And therefore you could realize the loss, maintain a approximate technology exposure, and then wait the 30 days. And then you, know, you could even sell out of the ETF in 30 days and buy those individual stock individual stocks back if you specifically want to own the individual stocks. So a couple of ways to maintain your exposure to the market and uh, you know not be just sitting on the sidelines for 30 days. The market is moving fast. Any good news could cause it to, to jump up dramatically. Any bad news on the flip side could cause it to you know continue to drop. So be, be careful, make sure you've got the cash and the reserves to, to pull these strategies off, but a lot of good ways to do it. I know that uh, you know we've talked a little bit about mutual funds and ETFs and then also individual stocks, but let's bounce back a little bit toward the mutual fund side of things because I know for some people, their tax and investment strategy might involve buying mutual funds toward the end of the year. Uh, what's the why behind that? Why is that a popular option? And are there tips there that people should keep in mind if that's something they want to do? Well, I think we're coming into the end of the year and at current levels, I think it's definitely tempting to buy on lows. And so if you've got a particular mutual fund that you've used or like or have added to over the years. Uh, now maybe you know, year-end bonuses coming in or you see what your cash flow for the year is going to be. Good opportunity then to uh, you'll put that money to work if you took some IRA withdrawals, had some extra cash on the sidelines. There's plenty of good, good things to be buying uh, on these dips. But one of the flaws of a mutual fund is that you're in a pooled investment and you get the cost basis of the shares that they've already bought. You know, if you buy an individual stock today, if you buy an individual exchange-traded fund today, you get today's cost basis. There's no embedded capital gain there. Whereas with mutual funds, they may have bought stuff years ago and you're buying into that fund today. You're, uh, you're basically taking on or assuming someone else's capital gain liability. And so coming into the end of the year, mutual funds, particularly growth funds that have uh, some turnover and, and realizing capital gains, they'll pay a potentially or potentially pay a capital gain distribution sometime at the end of the year, usually you know, the last couple months of the year. So it's possible to buy a mutual fund, have it go down before the end of the year. So you've lost money, but you would still get a capital gain distribution on your on your 1099 gain loss st statement and you didn't make any money it, it's a absolute uh, terrible conversation to have to have to explain to people why they're being taxed on gains when they've actually had a loss so be be wary of uh mutual funds again that same problem does not exist with exchange traded funds or individual stocks but one way to avoid that would be to research what capital gains distributions they're anticipating 
And they'll publish these. They, they may have an estimate or uh, a rough idea of what, what that's going to be for the year and when that's going to pay out. So if you can wait until one day after the capital gain distribution, problem solved, uh, wait, wait into early next year, you can always, if you absolutely want to buy that specific fund and you found out they are going to have a capital gain distribution this year, buy it in your IRA. Because then as the capital gain distribution gets paid, it's within the IRA wrapper. You don't have to pay tax on it. It gets reinvested and all is, is fine. So that's a couple ways to, to handle mutual fund purchases and just being careful about what you bought. And I've been telling people too, don't ignore bond funds this year. Bond funds, you, know, you typically buy them. They pay dividends you know, monthly or quarterly. A lot of those get reinvested if you're not spending those. And the price tends to be pretty stable. So as you realize those dividends or interest, that money gets reinvested. Your cost basis goes up along with it. Well, now this year, because rates have gone up so dramatically, a lot of bond funds have lost value of their price that they trade at. And so some of those lots where you had reinvestments or purchases when bond prices were higher, you may be able to go in and, and actually reconfigure some positions in your bond funds to, to harvest some losses there too. And obviously, you know, getting them in the right place. If they're already in your IRAs, it's not going to do you much good. If you do have them in your brokerage account, maybe an opportunity to sell some, trim those bond funds, realize some losses and get those positions repurchased back in an IRA. And then the, the final thing I, I would really like to point out for people that have mutual fund portfolios, this is a great opportunity to go back and review expense ratios. We're, we're getting a little bit off the tax topic here, but uh, the, it's, it's still savings. If, if you've been in a growth fund for a number of years, let's say, and, and the position has grown quite large, there may be more cost-effective and tax-efficient options that would be better than the mutual fund. So review the expense ratios, see what you're paying, see what the overlap of the individual stocks are, and what I've seen a lot is somebody that's been investing for many years. They've had appreciation and, and they've, they've been good investors. They've bought and hold. Then they buy a few of the individual names. And I'll, I'll use the technology stocks again because those are so common. But your Apple, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, all of those are big positions in a lot of growth funds. But then people see the action that's happening with those stocks. So they go buy those. And now they're, they're buying the same stocks that are already in the mutual fund. Well, they're paying an additional fee to own them in the mutual fund. So find the most cost-effective place to own those, as well as the most tax-efficient place uh, you know, to own those. And I, th and I think you can use this opportunity to not only improve your tax situation, but lower the cost to your overall uh, investment portfolio. Great points across the board. Very helpful to get this kind of breakdown. And Brian, I know something else is that people will often make charitable donations to kind of chip away at that tax bill, but they usually focus on it well into the fourth quarter of the year. So why should we cover that now in this kind of like October-ish timeframe where we still have a few months to go? Any, any reason why that would be good to kind of bump up our timeline on that thinking? You know, I, I don't know why everybody waits till absolute year end to do charitable donations. You, you'll see it at you know, all the charities and your church and organizations that you like, they will all launch a campaign in December because they know that's when most people wrap up and, and round up their charitable giving for the year. But, and, and you can still time it so that that happens in December if you want to, but there's no 
compelling reason for that, except that you just have a little more visibility on what your income gains, uh, all those items would be for the year. So maybe that's one one valid reason for waiting. But you should still get a strategy to match contributions and income. Like if you have a high income year, maybe this is a good year to do more uh, charitable giving. If you want to do a Roth conversion, IRA distributions, those things could all create a one-time or a variable income bump that on those particular years, in those particular years, you'll want to do stuff to offset that extra income. Now, if your income's pretty level and predictable and nothing changes, that makes planning a little bit easier, but you're probably missing some opportunities too by you know, again going back and knowing those brackets and how to maximize those. But uh, you know, the capital gains distributions, those can be offset with losses, other income items you could you know, potentially offset with, with these losses and, and stay in the, the brackets uh, that you want. But the other question to really ask in the charitable giving domain is, are you taking the standard deduction? Right. Most people, now that the standard deduction has gotten relatively high, maybe their retirement income's not as high as it was. They don't have the deductions with the kids around and all those things. So the mortgage is paid off. We're just taking the standard deduction. Well, there may be an opportunity to engineer a breakout above that standard deduction by bunching and concentrating donations uh, into one particular tax year. Now, the charities don't necessarily like this for cash flow reasons, but I've yet to see one turn this down. If you take two or three years worth of gifts and lump them into one year, you may be able to get up above that standard deduction, do more you know, tax smart strategies and, and things like that so that you can offset those, those, those big income years or actually engineer them to, to happen yourself so that you can get the maximum advantage to it. So don't necessarily look at the charitable gifting as just this steady monthly type of thing. They, they do like that for you know, operating and things like that, but they get irregular donations and year-end stuff. So a couple of things that you could also look at would be to gift appreciated stock, right? So if you're sitting on a position that is still highly appreciated, you don't want to necessarily part with the cash, you can go and gift appreciated stock. You avoid the capital gain on that stock and you get credit for, for the full deduction, assuming you're above that standard deduction. If you want an easy vehicle for doing that, and this is, this is going to be for bigger you know, charitable strategies, but Schwab has actually opened up a donor, an individual donor advised fund where you can take your appreciated stock, put it into the donor advised fund. You get, again, credit for gifting the entire amount to charity in the, in the year that you do it. But then you're in control of when the checks go out. You can still do the monthly giving. It, it, it's a great way to smooth out your giving. And they've got a really handy kind of bill pay type interface where you can queue up checks to go you know, to, to whoever you want. So that's the donor advised fund, a little more sophisticated, uh, very specific situations where that's applicable. If that's not you, then I would look at do, if you're 70 and a half, you can do your charitable gifting, QCD, qualified charitable distribution from your IRA. And that's like using pre-tax dollars, kind of like an HSA or a flexible spending account. Those dollars, you can gift them straight from the IRA. They don't hit your tax return. And uh, 
Schwab has also offered a solution here where you can get a checkbook on your IRA, make those donations, keep up with them, submit those to your your CPA when you're doing your tax return. And it's it's an excellent way that if you can't get your deductions above the standard deduction to at least keep that income off of your tax return. Because if you if you take the distribution from your IRA, pay taxes on it and it hits your tax return, and then you go give a charitable donation that's not deductible because you're taking the standard deduction, you're you're losing the the real advantage of of the charitable gift from a tax standpoint. May not be the end of the world, but if if it's several thousand dollars and you could write a check straight from the IRA, it satisfies that portion of your RMD and goes straight to the charity, keeps that off your tax return. So a couple, couple things here that, uh, again, relate to appreciated stock and IRA balances that directly tie into charitable gifting. Great tools and strategies that Schwab has out there. All of these will, will vary by individual. And I'd say just come back to doing that tax snapshot and, and start there. And we can build all of these other things into your plan. If you're not a client and want to find out a good way to interact with us, what type of approaches we take, why it's better and more more thorough than others potentially, this is an awesome place to start with that tax snapshot. All right, very good. I, I know not everyone uh, listening to the show today will be, you know, making those big charitable distributions, or maybe it's the uh, individual stock conversations that we had today. Maybe those won't apply to you, but I bet at least something in today's episode from this tax perspective applies to your individual situation, and maybe several of these items. And so that's why it's so wise to get that tax snapshot, and uh, you can avoid all of those different hidden tax traps, the things that we've talked about on today's show that Brian talked about mentioned. Uh, You can also get ahead of the tax complexity that's on the way, not just for this year's filings, but for future years as well. If you'd like to set up your time to do that, you can do it one of two ways. First, go to livingworth.com and click book a call. That's easy. Livingworth.com and click book a call. Or you can dial in to 706-451-9800 and get things set up over the phone. 706-451-9800. Brian, that's helpful. Thank you so much for offering this tax snapshot to folks and for breaking down everything on today's episode. Really enjoyed it. Yep, happy to do it. I'd love love to see everybody get one of those. And I've I've done them with existing clients that I've worked with for years that we've taken advantage of most of the opportunities and we still found, you know, a couple more thousand dollars worth of, of opportunities. So don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of that. Very good. Again, the easiest way to get in touch is go to livingworth.com. And uh, a little preview, a favorite guest of the show. He's, he's been a regular guest over the years, and a lot of listeners enjoy hearing from him. Brett Denko will be joining us on the next episode of Make the Dough Rise. I know we're excited to bring him back into the fold. Brian, we've got a good couple of episodes on the agenda coming up soon. Yeah, Brett, Brett will be good. I think we're going to get the uh, modern monetary theory gang back together. And now that inflation has rained in on us, we'll get everyone's assessment of... Uh, and and revisit on that episode. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. We're gonna look back at one of our past episodes and uh, re-hit it in this kind of new economy and new financial environment that we're in today. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, For Brian, I am Walter. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. And we hope to talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Take care. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. 
Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.